has one for all. The Japanese astronaut Noguchi Soichi was launched into space aboard the SpaceX Crew Dragon Resilience in mid-November and is now part of the crew aboard the International Space Station until April 2021. Noguchi's presence marks his third time in space, with previous missions aboard the space shuttle and the Russian Soyuz spacecraft, and highlights the long history of collaborations between JAXA and other international space organizations. Not only has Japan launched its own space exploration missions with the Hayabusa and Kagoya probes in the last two decades, Plans are underway for JAXA to work with NASA to return astronauts to the moon in the Gateway Lunar Space Station. Gateway is a great step towards the future of the human being. It's a great pleasure to collaborate with NASA. In that and even for Toyota to design the next lunar rover. Toyota and the Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency are to construct a pressurized self-driving moon rover that will use the car's manufacturer's fuel cell vehicle technology. According Yet, Forbes, in addition to scientific endeavors, Japan has recently joined other countries such as the United States, China, and India in forming specialized military units tasked with defending space assets and interests, leading to concerns about the militarization of space and a new type of space race. It will also defend the country against cyber threats. What is the history of Japan's space program and its collaborations with other organizations like NASA and SpaceX? What does it mean to talk about space policy? And what is Japan's position in this new global space race? I'm Tristan Gruno, and this is Japan on the Record. For more on Japanese space policy, I talked with Dr. Sadia Pekkanen, Job and Gertrude Tamaki Endowed Professor and Co-Founding Director of the Space Policy and Research Center at the University of Washington. Dr. Pekkanen is the author recently of Japan's Space Power in the April 2020 volume of Asia Policy. I started by asking Dr. Pekkanen to introduce JAXA and its activities. Thank you very much for that question. It's such a pleasure for me to be here and to be talking about Japan's space policy. So JAXA, as you know, is Japan's NASA. It's been around since 2003, and it came together with a merger of older agencies from Japan. So Japan has had a very long historic buildup of technologies and policies over the post-war period. And JAXA is the institution that gets the most attention for civil purposes. Since 2003, JAXA has been helping to sort of advance Japan's space sciences and technologies and doing so particularly in partnership with other countries. In particular, its partnership with NASA has been very prominent as part of its uh, portfolio of international cooperation, and that has led to its involvement with the International Space Station as well. And you were talking about some of these collaborations with NASA. I, I noticed in the news recently, there was even talk about NASA and JAXA collaborating on the next manned mission to the moon, in fact. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, maybe people might not be so familiar with the collaborations between Japanese space agencies and others around the world, but might not also be thinking about space policy as an important matter of national concern, no different than economics, trade, or, or diplomatic relations. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us why we should all be more attentive to space policy and sketch out what is Japan's space policy. Okay, so Tristan, let me address the context for JAXA and then come a little bit up to your question of space policy. One of the things that surprises people hearing Japanese astronauts are involved in these commercial crew missions to the International Space Station is because it's not very well known that the Japanese, uh, you know, they have a space corps of astronauts of their own. They've been going into space since 1992. They're one of the founding partners of the International Space Station. So they have built up on that experience 
and also their partnership with NASA and other players to cooperate on the International Space Station. And that is why these SpaceX missions have Japanese astronauts. And I think it speaks volumes about the relationship between NASA and the commercial players in the United States, as well as JAXA's long history of sort of engaging those players. So that's something that I think we can continue to look forward to. Uh, your second question is really about uh, space policy. And I think for most people, JAXA's role sort of typifies the way that we think about Japan's space policy that is very focused on commerce, that is very focused on uh, space exploration and science. And I think that those continue to be reflected in the country's uh, space policy. But I think what is not as well known is that Japan's space policy has also caught up with the military realities of what is happening in outer space activities as well. And so the sum total of Japan's space policy is more realistic in sort of addressing civil, commercial, and military realities in outer space, something that it really didn't do until about 2008, when the basic space law went into place. So that's where we are in terms of JAXA continues to be very central in terms of these civil and commercial realities, but the policies have also made clear that JAXA will be cooperating on security-related activities such as orbital debris with the Ministry of Defense. In that sense, Japan's space policy has really indeed come a very, very long way from its post-war origins, where it was really just focused on peaceful purposes to a more realistic place where it is cognizant of uh, commercial as well as military realities. You asked a more general question about space policy and why we should care. Well, so I think at a very, you know, that state and government level, of course, this has to do with prosperity and it has to do with the security of countries' engagement in the outer space domain. But I'd like to give you and your listeners also an indication of why it's so pivotal for just ordinary citizens around the world. So everything, you know, your way of life in, in the commercial and social realm is really powered in, from, or through space. So it's every time you turn on your GPS, every time you're watching a show, every time you go to the bank, every time you're pumping gas, all those things, you know, are powered in and through space assets. And so the issue where we are today is how do we protect those space assets? How do we continue to ensure that they, in fact, help with the social, commercial realities that are around us uh, every day? That's where we are in terms of the realities in the new space race today. How do we ensure that this prosperity and security continues forward? You mentioned before that in the post-war period, there was more peaceful operations of JAXA, but turning a bit more commercial now. And now we've seen things in news about the Japanese Hayabusa and Kaguya. Mm -hmm. uh, so could you talk a little bit about the development of Japanese space exploration and, and some of the collaborations that they've had with other agencies around the world and, and even these companies like SpaceX? Mm -hmm. So let me be very clear. I think that in many ways, you know, JAXA, they have always, of course, been concerned with bringing in commercial interests. So Mitsubishi Heavy Industries, for example, is a critical player in the launches of the H2A. So the idea of commercialization itself is not necessarily new. They have, of course, attempted to rely on market-based players. But I think what is new is that they're also reaching out to commercial partners that are in the new space era. And these partners include players like SpaceX. 
But the U.S. companies and the U.S. government are not the only players that Japan is really involved with. So let me give you an example of something that JAXA has been doing that I think is very important for its space diplomacy all around. And that has to do with the fact that they just launched the HOPE mission for the United Arab Emirates, uh, which is on its way to Mars. And so they are very interested in building partnerships with countries and emerging players like that who also aspire to advantage their countries or position their countries in the new space race. And I think JAXA is certainly one part of it. And then at the national level, uh, you know, from the prime minister down, they are uh, very interested in ensuring that they are able to capitalize on some of these new trends about commercialization in the new space race, as well as uh, concerns about military space realities to guide Japan through their own national space policies. We talked before about Japanese astronaut Noguchi Soichi. Yeah. I, I mean, a, a very simple question, but yeah. how many Japanese astronauts are there? Yeah. Uh, and I mean, what has their experience been on the International Space Station? That's an excellent question also, because of course, it goes to the heart of how Japan can actually engage. I said earlier that, you know, they have really capitalized on their experience uh, as sort of built up during the 1990s. So on. it's a fairly small astronaut corps. There are, I believe, seven currently employed astronauts and then four who have actually retired. There were two women astronauts as well. Uh, this latest core of seven does not have a woman, but I think probably as you move forward, that may change. And they have all been very active in terms of gaining experience on the old space shuttle and being involved in those missions, but also by doing a stays on the International Space Station. One of the astronauts, Wakata-san, um, has also been a commander of the ISS. So that's the reality of Japan's space. I would say that as Japan moves more into human spaceflight, we may begin to see a change in the numbers for the astronaut corps itself. And this might be another simple question, but what year was it that the first Japanese astronaut went into space? So Mori-san is the astronaut uh, Mori Mamoru, uh, and he went in 1992. And since 1992, they have been thinking about the ways that they can train their astronaut corps by gaining experiences through being involved in the spatial, through being involved in the International Space Station. And I think that those are the reasons why in both these commercial crew missions with SpaceX, the experience and the technical abilities of the Japanese astronaut has sort of ensured that they have a place on these very important and historic missions. And speaking of historic missions, SpaceX launched two astronauts from American soil. This was the first time American astronauts had been launched into space since the end of the space shuttle mission. But that's not to say that space hasn't been on the minds of a lot of Americans. And I think in the last several years, because of the way U.S. President Donald Trump talked about Space Force, you know, people have been thinking about space again, but perhaps making fun of it a little bit. In fact, there was that Netflix show, Space Force, which was you know, basically a satire of the idea. But you've written about not only the importance of space policy, as you were talking before, uh, but also, you know, alarming future prospects for increased competition in space, whether commercial or even military. So leaving aside this question of whether or not Space Force is a good idea, can you outline what some of these future challenges might be in space? So I think that a big challenge, and I think this is what every space-faring or space-ambitious country is sort of facing, is that how do we protect and secure the space assets that are already there and that that are also uh, going into place? So one of the things that we're seeing is a proliferation of small satellites, and this is going to go into the tens of thousands. And these are the assets that really empower our civil, commercial, and social realities down here. 
Having said that, I think that one of the reasons why we are concerned with what is happening in space is not just because of natural hazards and not just because of accidents that may happen, but also because there are deliberate targeting of these space assets. And the fact that we may be moving towards the weaponization of space is really an alarming thing that you know I think people need to be aware of more clearly. So the Space Force, what they're doing is monitoring and making sure that these space assets really remain secure. Now, you were laughing about the Space Force, but what I can tell you is that dedicated military space units are really the norm around the world. And you may or may not know this, but on 18th May 2020, Japan also started off its own version of a Space Force. It's called Space Operations Squadron, SOS for short. And this is a unit that is uh, like the Space Force, really dedicated to sort of thinking about how best to protect the space assets that are out there. And it will be doing so in cooperation with the U.S. Space Force And that is something that I think we need to keep an eye on as things move forward. So it's very, very new, but the problem is longstanding. And uh, I think the thing to remember is that outer space activities are really rooted in the geopolitics on Earth. So part of the issue for Japan and its uh, space policy and space diplomacy is while being cognizant of these military realities, how do we ensure based on other frameworks, the peaceful uses of outer space going forward. I think the world is in a new space race, right? This is a space race that's very different from the space race that people are really familiar with, the space race between the US and then uh, USSR. This space race is really characterized by very different kinds of trends, is characterized by democratization, which means that we have a whole new set of players, both state and non-state that are spread around the world, and whose interests need to be accommodating in the realities that we actually see coming. Then there is the commercialization aspect of this space race, which people you know, tend to get excited about when they hear about uh, SpaceX or they hear about Japanese astronauts being part of the crew missions that are going abroad, then they're thinking about small satellites. So there's that whole piece of it. But the third piece of it is really the militarization trends in this space race. And those are the trends that may, in some ways, really affect the peaceful uses and prospects for outer space and the reactions, uh, the the formations of these dedicated military units that I talked about, that's where it's actually coming from. So in a sense, you can think about the space race as like the best of times and also the worst of times. And it's the job of space diplomacy and space policy to bring these three unfurling trends of democratization, commercialization, and militarization in a way that allows us to balance the interests of all countries and to ensure that space remains an arena that can be used for peaceful purposes for all countries and for all players. So more Star Trek than Star Wars. (laughs) Yes, I suppose you can think about it that way. I'm Tristan Gruno, visiting assistant professor of modern Japanese history at Pacific University, and this has been another episode of Japan on the Record. Stay tuned for future episodes to hear scholars of Japan bring their expertise to bear on issues in the news. Thank you for listening.